This recording is from Fintech Nexus USA, formerly known as Line of Fintech USA, held at the Javits Center in New York City on May 25th to 26, 2022. It's from the track Embedded Finance. Every company can become a fintech. Sponsored by Fiserv and is titled Embedded Finance for Brands. Is it the future? Speaking on the session are Tim Dardis from Alvier, Loveline Situ from BM Technologies, with moderator Todd Anderson from Fintech Nexus. Embedded finance for brands, is it the future? Before we jump into our session, uh, let's get out the way some intros. Tim, you're sitting closest, so I guess I'll go with you first. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself and... Um, you know, while doing the intro, if you could tell them a little bit, you know, kind of where you guys fit in the space. Sure. Uh, Tim Dardis, I head up business development and strategy for Alvier. And Alvier is a financial technology company, or fintech. And um, we have a technology platform that enables all brands, or any brand, any large brand, to offer a wide array of financial services directly to their customers. We're a global we have offices here in the U.S. and Denver, also in Lisbon, Portugal, and licenses to operate in U.S., Mexico, Canada, and Europe. All right. Loveline? Sure. So I'm Loveline. I am the co-founder and CEO of BM Technologies. Uh, we are one of the largest uh, digital banking platforms and banking as a service providers. Um, and, uh, you know, we are most notably sort of known for uh, a partnership with T-Mobile, where we help them launch uh depository relationship, T-Mobile Monies, the checking account, savings account, and really helping them build out their financial services sort of vertical within a brand. Um, and also um, really pay- playing in that neo-challenger banking space, but in a B2B2C way. So partnerships with um, 750 plus higher ed institutions across the country, where one in every three college-bound students goes to one of those schools and gives us an opportunity uh, to be able to touch those students and to be able to offer them financial services products. And so, Lovely, I'll start with you. Um, you What are some of the drivers behind the trend of brands offering financial services through partners like you and Alvier? Yeah, I think that um, if any of you were sitting in the panel that just took place, uh, I thought it was a great panel. Uh, And to kind of reiterate philosophically, we we have a similar sort of uh, view on this, which is brands, you know, they have entrenched customer bases. There's usually an emotional connection. There's loyalty. There's trust. And to be able to leverage that and expand that into more opportunities for deepening that loyalty, deepening that engagement, um, being able to collect more data to be able to monetize that in more personalized ways for the customer. Uh, and and again, brands, you know, even though there's that loyalty and that trust, you know, many of them are in sort of industries where commoditization is taking place. And how can you create deeper ties with consumers, more differentiation, uh, better attract, engage, and retain them? And financial services is just one new way to do that. Tim, uh, if you, I mean, if you have anything to add, feel free. But, um, you know, is there kind of a certain size of, of company or brand um, that tends to move in this direction or that you guys are working with that you see? I mean, from what I understand, technically anybody can do this. Yeah, I think definitely technically anybody can do this. And I think you'll, you'll find, especially the, the early adopters or the brands that, that take on offering financial services to their customers will likely have a, a, a large customer base that they can attract and, and target. 
But I think with, with the way embedded finance works and the, the technology that exists, it's really a, a tool that can be leveraged across the board, depending on how the brand wants to, to offer it, right? I mean, if you're a brand that has a, maybe it's not a huge customer base, but, but it's a customer base and you want to provide a, a new loyalty offering that's tied to a debit card spend, right? You don't have to have critical mass. You're not necessarily trying to make new incremental revenue, but you're trying to augment a loyalty program. And the way the technology in our platform uh, exists today, you can do that. So you don't, it just depends, I think, really on what you want, what, what your, your end goal is and, mm -hmm. and, um, and how you want to approach it with your customer base. You know, we're calling it embedded finance, at least, you know, <laughs> here at the event. But, I mean, does the, the term really matter, whether it's embedded finance, banking as a service, lending as a service, fintech as a service? I mean, is it, is it that big of a deal? I mean, I think we need a, a new acronym in, in this space. <laughs> no, you know, I think embedded finance, right, it's been around, I mean, accepting credit cards on a website is, is a yeah. form of embedded finance, and then by now, pay later, there's 8 million of those out. Now, I, th I think it's, it's just embedded financial services, um, and, and, and really the, the opportunities are, are endless, right? And, and that I think what, what Levine is doing and, and, and their team and what we're doing are really bringing all sorts of different uh, embedded finance opportunities. I, th I think they're really broad terms, and they encompass players that are, are maybe approaching it differently, and, and there's different partners within this broader ecosystem that help bring things to market. So there's a lot of banking as a service, sort of pure technology players, right? So they have the APIs or they have the white label user interface that allows you, enables you. Are you trying to tell us something? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, which enables you to offer, you know, account opening, onboarding, you know, movement of money, et cetera. So that, that's more of a technology play. But then you may need a sponsor bank, right, with the FDIC insurance, with the compliance oversight. Um, you might need someone that's managing the program, helping from a marketing standpoint, hemp, helping fraud management, reggae disputes, et cetera. Um, or you could play banking as a service purely from, you know, helping marketplace lenders, instead of going state by state and getting your licenses, you could use that bank charter to be able to provide lending nationwide and to provide the compliance oversight of the program. So the loans are being originated from that sponsor bank. And that's revenue generation opportunities for these sponsor banks that exist that originate these loans, hold them on their balance sheet for three to 30 days. And then that fintech or that marketplace lender buys them back, securitizes them, and then sells them. And so that sponsor bank relationship enables them instead of getting state-by-state -state licenses. So it's just so many different flavors and ways to play within this broader ecosystem of banking as a service, lending as a service. I mean, how much can the move to offer financial services help build loyalty and, and build a customer that won't, a sticky customer, I guess, is the, is the way to put it. How much more can it help that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the opportunities really are endless. If, if I came to Alvier from PayPal for the last 10 years and, and Venmo, and one of our main, you know, one, one of the main KPIs that we always try to do is getting people to interact within the app. You know, how many times they do that annually? And, and from my tenure there, we went from like four to 50, right? And, and, um, and, you know, when you're a financial services company, you have a reason to talk to people more often. And those, that, those end customers have a reason to then engage with you more often. So I think from a loyalty perspective, you know, by getting into that financial relationship with your customer, 
it just gives you so much more access to that customer, not you know, from an engagement standpoint, from a data standpoint, uh, you know, really understanding their, their spending habits, um, you know, what, what they like, what they don't like, et cetera. Um, I, I think uh, the, the, we, we haven't even scratched the service in terms of um, how that can play into really augmenting loyalty programs, which has been a challenge, right? The, the, the loyalty programs are pretty stale, uh, mm -hmm. and they, 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 they haven't really done any I mean, Is this the new version of the loyalty program? I, I think a, uh, a piece of it for sure. Yeah, it's another flavor. And to Tim's point, I mean, the way that we start our programs is always in a depository relationship. And I think Ahan was on the last panel and, and they similarly, you know, start with that depository relationship because that stickiness that Tim is talking about really comes to bear when you have that primary banking relationship. And that's when you get the eyeballs and the daily sort of interaction. And that's a great starting point from which to build an overall financial services program. And, you know, I can only speak to the, the, the higher ed institutions that we work with today or, or T-Mobile that we work with, but, you know, it could be standalone financials and a profitable business line, but it also can be about increasing the CLV of your overall business. So are you keeping the wireless customer for an extended period of time because they now have financial services with you? Are you also creating net new switchers to your business, which is, hey, they're opening up a bank account with you because it's a standalone great product, but now they're actually going to join and, and start using your wireless business. Um, and so we've sort of proven that out and have those opportunities um, to, to help brands monetize in, in new and different ways. You know, I'll just add one more example of, of a loyalty uh, a customer that we're, we're working with in, in Europe, actually. They're an electronics merchant, and it, it kind of talks about, you know, what's their customer base, you know, how to, how to leverage loyalty. But they, they're rolling out financial services entirely to leverage customer lifetime value and retention, where they're, they're providing cash back on all spend. Um, it turns into brand bucks, essentially. And so they're able to remind that customer, hey, you have $20 to spend um, that you've earned yeah. just by doing your regular grocery shopping. So they don't look at it as a necessarily, you know, P&L perspective from, from are they making money off of interchange or, or, or anything financial services, but how are they driving them back into their, into their kind of um, ecosystem? Will some of these brands become financial services firms themselves? Do they want that? I mean, I, I don't think that they want that. I mean, I think that's the opportunity for all of us in the banking as a service business, either from a technology standpoint and especially like our models to actually vertically integrate and to be able to offer the technology that enables brands to get into this business, but also to be able to manage the program and provide that FDIC insurance as well and the charter and the regulatory oversight and compliance. Because when you vertically integrate and become one platform, one experience, it's more frictionless of an experience for the brand. And it's also better economics for all players involved. Yeah, I was, I was reading something earlier today, and don't quote me on the stats because I'm sure they're wrong, but the city, it's something 70% of their, their employee base is compliance, right? They're, they're handling regulatory issues. So Walmart may, may get into it and may regret getting into it. It's, it there's a lot behind the scenes uh, mm -hmm. from a compliance and regulatory perspective that I think embedded finance really allows all brands to do this without that complexity. That's the, the trick, I think. And is this essentially the next phase of the, the neo-banking market? I mean, you kind of went to you know, the chimes of the world and, and they've had... Um, especially Chime, uh, and others have had good success. Uh, it seems like this is kind of the natural evolution 
where you're bringing financial services to where the customers already are. And so it's not like a standalone bank where they have to go out and, and find customers through marketing, drive customer acquisition costs. They already have that customer for whatever reason they might be coming to them. And so it seems like a natural extension to offer this. And it seems like the next version of what the neobank might be today. Yeah, I, I think Levine can talk about this even more because they've, they've done this on both sides from having their own neobank. You know, there's, there's Cash, uh, Cash App and Chime who've, who've done a great job in, in driving customer acquisition, but that customer acquisition is expensive. Yeah. And so I think um, successful neobanks that, that come up are focusing on a particular demographic or segment, um, which is great, it's, it, but you're only going to have so many that can really reach broadly which gives the power to brands to do this. So I do think it's the next generation. Yeah, and I think, you know, being all things to all people, which is really that neobanking model, at least for the large-scale ones, there's not that much differentiation or personalization, but I think they're still going to win, the ones that have already won, because it's just the scale that they've developed. But for new entrants into the space, it's going to be really hard to compete with. So I agree with Tim that I kind of see a bifurcation where it's going to be hard to have another five chimes, but we could see more of the sort of niche direct consumer plays, um, whether that's focusing on underserved demographics. Uh, We've seen sort of banks pop up that are serving the LGBTQ community, whether it's black, brown um, sort of minority groups, whether that's, um, you know, uh, freelancers. And so I think that there's an opportunity to serve niche, you know, and then also, you know, being able to bring brands and, and the business that we're in uh, to the market as well. Uh, there was a question that, that came in from the audience related to what we were just talking about is big brands and the kind of product differentiation between them and, and some of the neobanks out there and, and how they look to bring a product that's different than, say, a Chime, a Varo, or someone like that. Yeah, I think it's important for them to find sort of... Uh, something nuanced or differentiated in which this embedded banking experience has a greater synergy with their overall business. Um, And so number one, that makes sort of the adoption of the account much faster, uh, which is best for all players involved. Uh, And it also provides that engagement and retention because you see value beyond just being a standalone great account. I think that has to be a given. Um, But then there's only so much differentiation that a standalone great account can have, whether that's playing with interest, whether that's playing with cashback, you know, there's how many pillars or levers are you going to pull? So then how do you create that sort of unique, um, so for T-Mobile, for example, you know, if you pay with your T-Mobile money card, you can get $5 off of your monthly bill. And so that adds up for an important demographic that, you know, $5 every month and that's meaningful to them. Or T-Mobile has a travel department. And if you purchase your hotels and and travel with your T-Mobile money card, you get discounts there. So that's an example of how you can create differentiation within a unique ecosystem to create more synergy between the account and the overall company and what they're doing today. And I'll just add to that. I think brands are in such a unique position to do that because they have an encapsulated audience that, that shares a common, uh, whatever it might be. If it's Nike that wants to offer banking services, well, your customers are probably into sports or shoes. And so you can tailor benefits around what that demographic or, or what that customer base that they would be willing to you know, engage in financial services with you um, in, a, in a way that no 
you know, general purpose neobank could ever do, right? You have to be far reaching. Yep. Uh, whereas if you're a brand, you could really narrow it in and, and be very dynamic. I'll just end quickly with what do you think is next in this space, you know, kind of for the big brands? Do you think we get to the point where it's, uh, I don't know, Apple or, you know, one of them begin to move, encroach into this a bit more? You know, I think, no, I, I, I mean, yes, they will. Uh, but I and think... They kind of have already. Yeah, they could, yeah, and they'll do more, I'm sure. And Google has just announced uh, that they're doing more, and uh, we'll, we'll see more of that. But I, I really think that, you know, the, the relationship between a consumer and a traditional bank, I mean, we've probably heard that a million times in the last <laughs> two days, is, is, is ch has changed and will continue to evolve. Uh, the, the successful challenger banks will likely continue to be successful, and there's a, a new opportunity that... Um, and consumers can have five banks on their phone and spend their money in the way that it, it best suits their, their daily needs. And that's not that hard to do anymore. It doesn't make your wallet fatter anymore. It's I mean, it's ultimately lovely, and I'll give you the last word. I mean, it's not winner take all. I mean, there's so many different pieces out there that someone could kind of fit the financial life that they want in the way that they want. When in the past, it was kind of, here's my one bank that's you know a mile away, and they'll give me everything from start to finish, college loan, all that stuff. Now it's kind of, there's a hundred different options, and I could kind of piecemeal something together. Yeah, I think that we're creating uh, a new sort of definition of convenience and financial inclusion that never existed before. And so I think, you know, not having to rely going to your bank to offer your financial services, but going to a brand that you have built trust and loyalty with and, and, and using that account for the benefits it provides you within that ecosystem of that brand, but then maybe having a secondary account or a third account, you know, um, and being able to bifurcate money in a way that optimizes your financial experience the best way it can for you individually by taking advantage of different opportunities and, and, and brands and bank accounts that are out there. All right. I think that's a good place to end. Tim Loveling, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks.